What's going on, guys? And today, before we get into our podcast episode, we're going to talk about our sponsors. And I'm sitting down. This is Austin, by the way, in case you can't tell by my raspy, terrible voice. Um, I'm sitting down. better there. Yeah, I'm finally starting to feel better. I've been down for like a week. I was sick. It wasn't even the Rona. Um, I can't seem to catch it as hard as I've tried, but um, I haven't gotten it yet. So, But I'm sitting down with Rob, our uh, marketing director. How's it going, guys? And uh, so our sponsors. So first off, we're going to talk about Triarch Systems. Um, Triarch has been one of our OG sponsors with the company here at Fieldcraft. And uh, what a company. Dude, they uh, set the standard. They do. They uh, they really are the great dudes over there, which is uh, what really brought us into the fold with them is just what good people they are. Um, and then secondary is how good their equipment is. And it, it really is the best on the market. Um, specifically, one of my favorites is the Tri-11. So um, I filmed, I helped with the help of Julian, our other media guy, I filmed the grip video that Mike did uh, fairly recently, about a month ago, and he did it with the Tri-11. Uh-huh. And dude, that thing is like... A work of art you know it's 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 unlike a lot of the other weapon systems that I've I've used you know primarily like Glocks and SIGs but uh, which they do custom build those out as well but mm-hmm. the Tri-11 is just like next level yeah I mean it just it will not fail it, it just it, the quality is is superior and it is I mean we all all of our guys love them yep. um, and and, and, and the, the great thing is about them too is they take abuse right like you know, I know Raul, I know Mike, and I know the rest of the guys with the training team and um, all the guys that have Triarch systems, you know, they're, um, they treat them like the tool that they are and they continue to function. So yeah. Chris, uh, Chris and the guys over there, they, they do a great job. Um, they've been longtime uh, supporters of the, of the podcast and of Fieldcraft. Um, and they've got a code for you. It's Fieldcraft, one word, 5% off your next gun. Uh, check it out. Yeah, at, which is actually a hefty amount. Whenever yeah. you're you're looking at a gun, building, they're, not, you know? they're not cheap, but no. they're definitely worth it. Yeah, um, you can check them out at triarchsystems.com. That's T R I A R C systems.com. Remember, code is Fieldcraft, five percent off your next gun. And next up, we have Casey Highlights. So the best in the business, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. um, we all have, or almost all of us have some version of a KC light on our trucks here with the company. And again, another OG sponsor yeah, for us. Been around for a long time um, with us. And everybody knows, I always say this, but that smiley face, <laughs> you know, on the cover, on the light cover. And uh, I remember that growing up, you know, seeing that, didn't even know what it was, but uh, that's some brand recognition right they there. They have that, so. the brand recognition. The other cool thing about it is you can get these custom covers for whatever yeah. you want. I mean, we'll, yeah. we'll talk about, you know, Mike Hernandez's Jeep uh, a little right. bit more as we talk about King of Hammers, but, you know, he's got the Fieldcraft logo on a couple of his, yeah, which, it is, looks which great. is so awesome. And it's custom colored too, uh-huh. so, which is really cool. But uh, their new, one of their new lights that's coming out is the Flex Era 4. It is out now. Oh, it is yeah. out. Oh, it's already out. Okay, they cool. They launched it, and so it just, just came out. Yeah, it's a... Uh, you know, it's a great, all their lights are great, but this one specifically, uh, seems to be a lot more multi-purpose. Um, I've seen, I've seen them in some of their photographs all, all over the trucks. They're using them for rear lights, uh, ditch lights and guys even have them on their grill. So yeah, we're going to get, we, we will have those in the store in Heber city, Utah. Um, they have been ordered there on the way, which is good. Awesome. And we're also getting, uh, Mike's Land Cruiser set up with the new Flex Air 4s Ooh, on those, uh, w- which will be great. Yeah, uh, you guys will see those. that pretty soon. We'll have some some content coming out on that. Um, 
Yeah, and they helped us out a lot with the um, with the build, the Sequoia for King of Hammers. You know, mm-hmm. uh, they sent us out some lights. Derek had the whole truck uh, fixed out with lights, and um, you'll see what part that they they played actually a pretty big role for us while we were out there in the desert. So I mean, it just it, it is so dark out there at night, yeah. and you're trying to see all of the contours of the desert and right. everything. And it, it, without that, it's just it, yeah, it's a game you're changer. Just, you're just not seeing anything. You're hitting everything, and it would be a very uncomfortable, unpleasant <laughs> ride with, yeah, without that. Absolutely, we're lucky enough to have a code for you guys, which is Fieldcraft, one word, which will save you 10% on your next purchase from Casey Highlights. And lastly, uh, a good friend of mine, Tim Jennings, owns a company called Out of Regs Pomade. And uh, Tim and I have known each other for a few years. Um, He actually had the same recruiter I did to get into the Air Force. And Tim called me up. uh, The recruiter gave him my number, called me up while I was at the survival school. And he was like, hey, man, you know, the the recruiter asked me to uh, call you and, and talk to you about a few things. And um, I was like, oh, okay, cool. What's up? And so I chatted with him about a little bit about selection, so a few other things. And, but we became pretty good friends after that. And then he made it through selection, came all the way up to, uh, up to Fairchild and we became pretty good friends up there. And, uh, after I left the school and since, and since getting out of the military, uh, he and I have stayed in touch and he started his company called out of Rex pomade and he makes, you know, handcrafted organic pomade. Uh, and, I don't know how many of you guys have maybe seen me on Instagram or somewhere else. I, I don't have a big, awesome beard like the rest of these dudes, but <laughs> I do have some luscious locks and I'm pretty particular about what I put in them. So, uh, oh, but yeah. I've been using out of regs for a long time. Uh, Tim hooked me up with some of the first samples that he had. Um, and it, I've been using it just about ever since. So, uh, you guys definitely need to check it out. You Rob, take I care think of that hair. You got to keep, make sure it's coming out of the hat I got just you. right. It's, it's a look, you know, it's, it's a thing. So, and I think Rob wears a hat all the time. I don't know. I can't tell you he might be going bald, but, um, <laughs> I don't know if that's a thing. Uh, and even for all you guys, uh, that are going bald or don't have the luscious locks, they do have some product for your beard as well. I get uh, more hair on the face than on, yeah. up on top. The opposite of you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, it's a blessing and a curse, you know, it's a blessing and a curse, but check them out online. So it's www.outofregspomade.com and they have a code for us as well, which is code fieldcraft and we'll save you 10% on your next purchase. You might notice a pattern. Yeah. You might notice a pattern. (laughs) So in this episode, um, Rob and I actually were on our way back from King of Hammers and just, it was a, what, like a nine and a half hour, 10 hour drive. Mm-hmm. Um, we were just chatting along the drive and talking about, you know, man, we were getting questions and people were commenting about, well, what are you guys doing at this race? So we actually pulled over on our road, on our trip back and did this podcast and just talked about bridging the gap between why is Fieldcraft actually participating in King of Hammers? Why are we sponsoring a truck? You know, what's the reason behind all that? Yeah, on the surface, it might not you know, it might not be an easy connection to make for some people, but we, we go through it and we talk about why it was important for us to, to be there, what we want to gain and what we want to provide to you guys as our audience in terms of educational content, in terms of entertainment and, and, and everything for yep. us being there. Um, and so it, it's a good, it's a good listen. Yeah. And, and we're actually, so we filmed a video while we were out there, um, Julian and myself, put in a lot of hours and Rob too, helping us with kind of the layout of the whole thing. But, um, Julian and I filmed like this 
documentary, a mini documentary of the entire experience for Derek mm -hmm. and Mike Hernandez and the, the story of the Sequoia beast, you know, and, um, if you've been following along, you know, Derek built out uh, a Sequoia as his truck that he decided to enter in the every man challenge. And, um, we kind of tell that story in a really cool, unique narrative way. Uh, and we're actually going to be airing that video at the grand opening of the store, which the is the world premiere, the world. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> the world this is my first world premiere. So hey. the world premiere of the video at our grand opening here in Heber city, Utah on February 27th. Yep. So next Saturday, a week from today, Yep. it'll be the up. event is free, but yeah. we want you to have tickets. Uh, yeah, because Go online we, and sign we up. will run out of space and we can only fit so many people, fire marshal stuff, you know. Yeah, but we're going to have everybody here. We'll have Evan Hafer from Black Rifle. Jack Carr is going to come out. We just hung out with him the other day and he's super happy about coming out again. Uh, we're going to have local search and rescue. My buddy's over there. We're going to have uh, the fire department, police department. Everybody's kind of trying to make a presence, really trying to bring the community together with that. Word so. on the street is we might also have the Sequoia Beast yeah. here. Yeah, I for yeah, you guys take so, a look at which is I know Mike Hernandez is coming up with his with his Jeep, his Gladiator, and we talked with Derek the other day. Gave him a, and that's the other thing is Derek hasn't seen this uh, documentary yet, um, and it's about him and his truck, right? And Mike Hernandez. So um, we're excited to be able to share that experience with him at our grand opening and have the Sequoia Beast here. So um, without further ado, guys, again bridging the gap for Fieldcraft Survival and King of the Hammers. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast. Today, I'm your host, Austin, and with me in the studio is Rob. What's Rob, up, guys? What's going on, man? So, Rob is our director of marketing here at Fieldcraft Survival. Um, we picked him up like a little stray from the marketing world um, <laughs> to be our marketing director. That's the marketing world, man. Yeah. Just all strays, just wandering around. <laughs> I think it's the same in media, so I, I get that. But, um, so yeah, Rob's been kind of leading the charge on the marketing front for us and um, helping us optimize all the media and content that we do and getting it out and putting it in front of you guys appropriately. And um, he, he kind of is the main person that is seeing all the emails, everything gets run by him. So that way we can um, have a more deliberate strategy with everything that we're doing. So if we're screwing that up, just email Rob and tell him that we're doing bad. Yeah, yeah or I mean, it could be Austin's fault. Also, yeah. but if it's going great, <laughs> it's on me. <laughs> yeah, I can. All right. I, that's fine. That's fair. <laughs> but so we uh, we're just leaving the King of Hammers race and we've been out here for a week now and we posted a few. Is that all? Yeah, it feels like it's been like it two like weeks. It's been forever. Yeah, a little bit of not very much sleep. Uh, Rob did a great job planning this whole thing out, helping us with the media content plan. Uh, but the only thing he didn't plan in there was sleep and meals. So. Well, you know, uh, Julian helped with the schedule. I know you throw it all on me, but Julian was instrumental in, uh, in planning that. And I believe he did plan for food. He might not have planned for sleep, but yeah. uh, he definitely planned for some food. I think we just blew by that. Yeah, I think we did. But um, we did this whole, and it, so we posted a few videos, posted a few uh, pictures from the race already, and we got a good amount of traction on those. But the theme that we were seeing is like, well, why is field craft there like what are you guys doing uh being involved with king of hammers so uh if you're not really familiar with what that is uh up until this point i'm sure you are if you've been kind of following what we're doing but it's a it's a endurance race that happens out in the desert in johnson valley california 
um, what is it, 130 about miles? 100, 125 to 130 miles. They, they kept changing the course, so I don't know that anybody knows the exact <laughs> mileage, but uh, it was about 130 miles. Yeah, so guys build out their rigs. They, they race this 130-mile race covering desert, covering uh, like a lot of rocky terrain, and it's designed to really test the vehicles and test the drivers, wherewithal. Um, and I'm sure if you guys have listened uh, to our other podcast that's on this, um, with Mike Hernandez and Derek Miller, the driver and co-driver. Um, you guys probably have a decent understanding of the race and what it entails, but... I mean, they uh, bill it as kind of the the most difficult one-day uh, off-road race in, in America, maybe the world. Um, and it, it really is, I mean, we'll talk about this in a little bit, but it really is the challenge because most races are designated for either the desert or the rocks but doing right. both in the same vehicle is just i mean it's just brutal right on the team and the vehicle right absolutely and so um you know the reason that we were doing this is first and foremost um derek miller and mikey hernandez are really good friends of the company uh, they've been around since the beginning and uh when we heard that Derek was gonna, and Derek and Mikey were gonna do this race, and Derek was building out his rig, you know, uh, Mike, and I, know, I think you had like a pretty long conversation with them, and we wanted to support them and what they were doing, um, because if you know anything about, even just the overlanding space, it's an expensive thing to do. Oh yeah, for sure. And even more so when you're building out a rig that has to meet uh, a technical qualification for a race. You know, it's got to be able to withstand the beating it's going to take. It's got to have, you know, uh, the maintenance has to be done to it. And Derek built this thing from scratch in his driveway. And you can't just show up and, and, and race. They they put the car through tests. They look at every aspect of it and make sure that it's, uh, it's safe, it's capable, and that it's ready to be there. So even just getting to the start was a, it was a huge accomplishment. Right, especially for a vehicle that's built in your driveway, yeah. you know. And I, I'm hoping you guys have listened to, to Derek talk about that at this point but uh, you know there were days I mean he built it in his little two car um, driveway where you know his family vehicle is parked next to it and he said he couldn't even <laughs> open the door half the time because there's other cars parked next to it so making do with what you got I mean it's, yeah. it's impressive so we knew that Derek was going to need a little bit of help um, with some support so you know we dedicated some guys to, to helping him out with the pits and we wanted to uh, to just help with the build where we could and we, we kind of didn't get on board until like really the last month uh, month and a half ish uh, before the race so we kind of got into the game late but um, Derek built this car and had it race ready within two months which yeah, is I mean, an accomplishment. He, he, he made the decision I think it was November mm -hmm. mid-November that he was going to race and he, he turned his trail rig into a race legal you know vehicle that was was capable for running this race in very short amount of time and you know like i said we jumped on kind of late um but just wanted to offer that support and uh and help them any way we could make right. sure that we could make the most out of this experience right and so um we also saw um and after talking to them and really getting a firm understanding of what the race was and uh, kind of all the things that go into it, we really saw it as a test bed for our equipment. And we've developed um, as a company, and really kind of Mike has been leading the charge on it, but developed some products that uh, I'm sure most of you guys know about, but our mobility bag being one of those, as well as our new duffel bags. 
and we saw this race as an opportunity to really uh, what we'd call in the military T and E or test and evaluate this equipment, and because when you when you test equipment and, and companies you know all different types of companies have different standards to testing their equipment some obviously some equipment has to have a testing and has to have a rating but you know a bag like ours i mean obviously there's no like standard for it but yeah we want to make the best product we want to have um, from the experiences at the company uh, we designed this to to be one of the best uh, bags that you could have to carry your equipment uh, for your mobility uh, for bugging out for whatever it may be and whatever you decide to use it for but uh, there was no real standard of testing the materials and testing how it worked and seeing how it really worked outside of just putting it in our cars and driving yeah. around with it every day I mean if you look at it and you kind of think I mean basically we Mike Glover designed the bag based on his experience for functionality. Right. And he went through what are we? We're on the third official generation mm-hmm. with several other unofficial generations mm-hmm. in there. Um, and now we feel like we have the bag in a good spot. But the next step is, are we manufacturing it as best as we can? Is it going right. to withstand the elements? Is it going to you know hold up? And I can't think of a better environment to test that in than King of the Hammers. Oh, absolutely. So like, because. When you stress test anything, you're gonna find its weak points and its failure points, which was the the entire idea when we started thinking about this race of saying, hey man, how about we hook up one of our mobility bags? Uh, we'll hook up one closed, one open, put it on the backs of the, well, we couldn't even put it on the back of the seat because it had a roll cage, <laughs> but we actually mounted it to the roll cage, one on either side, zipped one up, um, put a bunch of tools, med equipment, we actually, um, put med in the med pouch we put some tools in the uh the other open source pouch pouch and then we put um a bunch of the survival equipment that's required for the race in the bottom uh bigger pouch yeah and so and it was and we actually ended up putting some drill batteries and other tools in one of them um, but we actually duplicated so they would both have the same amount of weight um and close zip one closed and then left the other one open with the Velcro pouches open and exposed in a hope that, you know, going from a desert environment where they're going to be bouncing around and what do they call them? Whoops. Yeah. The, uh, the whoops. Yeah. Going which is up and down the little washboard, but up right. Road, like, and then you're hitting that, you know, anywhere from, you know, 25 to, you know, up in some points, 45, 50 miles an hour, uh, for a sustained amount of time. And there is no better way to test that system than that, in my opinion, you yeah. know, and, um, a lot of people talk about the Velcro and how it, you know, it, it fails. It can be a weak and, spot. You know, and, and over time, there's definitely some of that. But we looked at it, and, and like you said, we had tools, we had wrenches, and uh, you know, some of his his heavy metal tools mm-hmm. in some of these pouches, and they're hitting these bumps. They're going, you know, blasting through the desert, hitting rocks, and literally and hitting other rocks, vehicles, other vehicles, <laughs> and um, you know, and and we just wanted to see the result like right. we, whatever that result was right. so that we knew what the fail points were what we needed to do to make it better and and how we could just again make the best product correct and and also we mounted a uh, on the one of the molly strips we put a tourniquet holder uh, with the gen 7 cat tourniquet in there as well and just left it open and exposed on the one bag so just to see you know what what's going to come of it because they have a uh, a much higher likelihood of there being some kind of a rollover accident or something you know that's why the cars are built out and that's kind of been the nature of these races is because 
I'm sure if you guys have heard it, but there's like a, a 70% attrition rate at these races. And that's not just because guys quit, it's because no, their it's, cars break they, or they wreck. They, they're done. Like their days are over because equipment failures, uh, you know, and, and one of the things that was impressive, you know, that from Derek is, you know, he, he was talking about this and said, it's not because they're not prepared. It's just because of the brutal nature of the trail. Like, anything mm-hmm. goes wrong and these rigs can just you know something catastrophic can happen and right. they're done their day is over it could be a mile into the the race it could be a hundred miles into the race could be right. could be the last hundred yards yeah. for some of these guys yeah you actually know? there was a guy that did that it was in the uh the can-am race it was like day two i think we we were watching that and one of the guys there's a jump in the last probably 200 yards 150 mm-hmm. yards of the race and he he hit the jump kind of weird landed and both his tires uh, we're pointing in different directions, and he just mashed the gas and <laughs> got that through. thing across the line. Because I, I, think I he, will finish this. Yeah, race. I think he got on the podium with that too. I think he was going for. I think yeah, second. second or third. Yeah. Second or third. Yeah, it's pretty cool. But, um, but yeah. So that that as a test bed for our equipment, put it in there just to kind of see what had happened. And, and not just that, but we we have the the new duffel bag, um, and we had the uh, the the only prototype forty liter duffel bag um, that we are very anxiously waiting uh yeah. to get the the first shipment in but we we took that out there and we loaded it up and threw it in the back of uh mikey's gladiator yep and drove a hundred miles through the desert yeah with that thing in the back just to see just w- to see what, what happens, happens yeah and over the course of five days i mean the first day we were there well the next the first day of the racing event that we were there um we had like a really rough windstorm come through that whole day uh the bag was just outside exposed with all the recovery equipment in it um and then let that just kind of stay back there and get beat up for the next because we used uh mike hernandez's jeep as the chase vehicle uh-huh. um, to get us out to some of these remote pit stops um which were i mean it was a 45 minute drive or almost an hour drive in the desert <laughs> out to one of these pit stops but just to see you know hey what's going to happen with these like the heavy shackles and the ropes uh, what's going to happen to the equipment inside and what's going to happen to the bag? And is it really because, you know, we advertise this as, you know, essentially like a, a weather resistant bag. And, um, and that's got to include dust. Right. And we, you know, you put that stamp on there saying we use these materials, we use this type of a zipper and which has typically been what companies have used for weatherproofing their gear. But is that person or that judgment call being made by somebody in an office or is it actually weatherproof? Does it actually work the way it's advertised? So, um, but I will have to say that after this race at the end of these, you know, couple of days, I'm actually extremely impressed, um, with the quality of the gear and how it came out. And, um, you know, there may be people out there that say, well, that's, of course you're going to say that, you know, it's your equipment, but dude, it really freaking held up. Like none of the clips broke, none of the straps broke, none of the Velcro came undone, even with pounds of gear in them. Yeah. All the Velcro held in place. And and like you said, we had two bags And, 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 and just so you guys understand, this is a vehicle with no windows, Yep. no windshield. It's all open. Drive blasting through the desert with sand, dust, dirt, like everywhere. Like I mean, and so it's 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 very exposed to the elements, much more so than in a anybody's typical ride that it would be. Um, and we had one of them open, one of them closed, and and I was extremely impressed. The one that we had closed when I opened that up after the race, you wouldn't have been able to tell 
right. that it had been in the vehicle. Yep. Like, I mean, the outside was caked in dust and sand and dirt, uh, but the inside, you wouldn't have been able to tell. Nope. I mean, it looked like just like it did when we when we put it in. Yeah. Know, it was it was impressive. And one of the other aspects to testing and evaluating as making this an even better uh, solution for us to use it as that platform is that there were requirements by the race officials that they have survival gear and that they have medical gear on them. The requirements were pretty light, but, they uh, were, yeah. but we, we, we tried to bump it up a little bit. Right. Um, I mean, like, again, we've talked about this a bunch of times, but survival equipment is based on the scenario you're in. Correct. It, it's not just a one-size-fits-all solution. You can't just say, hey, buy these 10 things, and you're you're good in any situation. Um, Mike and Derek were obviously had a lot of concerns, including weight in the car and, and how they were storing it and mm-hmm. what they were going to need. Um, but at the end of the day, they have an emergency button that they can push, yep. and, and help, help is, is on the way. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they might have to stay out there for a couple hours, but, like, if needed, they'll send life flight, they'll send whatever right. real quick if they push that panic button. Um, we don't all have that. Like right. Sometimes we can't even communicate at all, and, exactly. and depending on the situation we're in. So their considerations were very different than normal considerations we would look at, but it's totally. all situation dependent. It is, and, and that's a good point to bring up because when you look at survival equipment, and it, 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 a lot of it um, is, or can be, um, uh, uh, like you said, um, what am I trying to say here? Climate dependent. Yeah. So, and being out there in the desert, um, the consideration for them was uh, having enough water because mm-hmm. they're going to be exhausted driving through this car. Because Mikey was hopping in and out, in and out of the vehicle, dripping and dripping and sweat. You know, running a winch line. Um, you know, winching him, winching their rig, winching other people's rigs. You have to understand, it's not easy for Mikey to jump up into that vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. He. We tried to get him a step stool, but I think it was a it was a weight thing. I don't know, but uh, anyway, he's got hops to get up in that yeah, thing. Yeah. But uh, so looking at that consideration, you know, and obviously that's our genre. You know, that's what we do is survival preparedness. So it was an easy easy for us to get them the solutions they needed. But uh, we, needless to say, we met the requirement for med and oh, survival. For sure. so. med, with med, they were very well prepared, and, right. and survival we had the things uh, hydration and then heat or cold right um, depending on when they got stopped or when they were broken down and um if it's during the middle of the day they're gonna be real hot if it's at night it gets real cold right um and And that's actually what just a little just a little nugget of information that's what actually classifies a desert as a desert is the extreme temperature variance so there you go man just a little survival nugget um (laughs) but no it, it but there definitely was the consideration there and not only for them but there's no support actively out on the trail, you Including know. Including the chase vehicle. Chase vehicle right. cannot be on the course. Right. They can only wait in the pit areas. Mm-hmm. So uh, if something happens, there's no one that's just coming directly out. Self recovery, making sure that they can get right. themselves out, or other drivers could help them. But exactly. Nobody from outside of the the racers could help anybody on the course until after it was closed. Right. At what seven o'clock, six six or I seven o'clock like at that, night. Yeah. I think they had nine hours to finish the race, um, and you know. You had to wait until after that to go out and, and render any aid or assistance. Right. And so not only were they worried about med for themselves, but we put enough med in those bags so they could have med to treat other drivers. Mm-hmm. Because in a situation like that where they're 
out there and no one else is going to be patrolling, you know, to help out in a, a first responder sense, they're going to be the first responders to these other races oh, yeah, or sure. other racers that are out there. So uh, we tried to hook them up with as much med as we could fit in those pouches and and get them the equipment that they would really need. So And it brings up a, a, another point about, like, talking to some of the racers and talking to Derek and Mikey, it was like survival and med and and these considerations that we live we are you know looking at this every day from a lot of different aspects once we get into these different air uh, different uh niches or or Mm -hmm. different uh uh, groups of people whatever doing different activities and stuff um it's something that they're not all looking at the same considerations and that's uh, when we bring it back to the why we were there um we look at this and we say one of the things that we're trying to do is we're trying to, uh, for lack of a better word, in, infiltrate yeah. other industries and other other niches that aren't our typical audience. And motorsports has a lot of that crossover, uh, just like hunting and fishing. It's one of the ones that we've right. been working with uh, Eastman's Hunting Journal mm-hmm. uh, to get in front of the hunting audience because there's a lot of skills that we talk about and that we live that they don't embrace quite as much, but right. but that are very applicable to what they're doing. It's it's it's, you know, to us we look at it. We're saying everybody should have these skills right. because they could find themselves in this situation or scenario mm-hmm. at any point. Right. And so, um, you know, we go back to that why. That's another one of the reasons why we wanted to do mm-hmm. motorsports. Yeah, and and another good reason for you to be there because, um, at at King of Hammers, which is one of the biggest events you know for racers of this sport um there's a ton of industry there guys in industry Mm -hmm. and um to be able to see what has already been innovated in the space and to kind of see uh, what other companies are already doing or if there's anybody doing anything at all like that in this space so um we were able to kind of reach out and and meet a lot of different people um and and build some relationships there um, from that perspective, which it seemed to be uh, well received, you know, there was yeah, a lot absolutely. of a lot of guys there that were never really tracking on, you know, fieldcraft survival or uh, even thinking about survival and preparedness because it's it, to them it's just a a box to check for the race to get qualified to get their right. tag on their vehicle and say that they're good to go. They got but, a bottle of water and a granola bar. And yeah, they're, they're, that's survival. Yeah, and a, and a boo boo kit, and that was <laughs> yeah. their med kit. So it's. Uh, when you start talking to other guys and just talking with some of Derek's buddies and um, some of the other guys that were there, you know, we showed them our loadout and they're like, oh, wow, well, why do you have all this other stuff? Well, you know, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> so it, it, it makes for a good uh, whole new audience of people that we can put this equipment in front of and and get our message out there and making everybody a better prepared version of themselves. So um, you being there was instrumental in a lot of those relationships being built because uh, I'm a people person, but I'm not a business person, yeah. you know? So it's like, I, I don't have all, a lot of those analytical answers for people and, and you kind of have that knowledge. And so it's, it, it's an interesting crowd of people. That's mm-hmm. for dang sure. Like, um, one thing that, you know, I, I would say that most of you guys that listen to this podcast know is the overlanding community is super welcoming. You know, they're awesome people, uh, people that you would call like a neighbor, you know, and they're super willing to help you out. Uh, They just want to teach you what they know and share what they've got. Uh, And there was nothing different with this community. Yeah, I know. And and it's instrumental that the community is that way because it's very difficult to to come in and learn a lot of these things without help. Absolutely. 
learning recovery techniques and, mm-hmm. and how to get out of sticky situations when you're on a trail is so much easier when you have another rig, another group of people that can say, hey, let's let's try this, and if it doesn't work, I can help you through it, right. or I can pull you out, or we can do it. A whole married experiences. Like, you know, and, and like a lot of things, it's, it's so much better when you have experienced people that are able to, to kind of take you under their wing and, and help you out with things. Right, and Derek and Mikey got that a lot just in the race community. Uh, this this week, you know, there were because this was obviously their first time, their first rig they've ever run in a race like this, and they essentially would have just been fed to the wolves had it <laughs> not been uh, for a lot of Derek's friends that were uh, there that were racing, and then just other racers that we met there. You know, uh, guys out on the trail that are willing to help and communicate, and um, actually, so uh, we had an incident. Well, not an incident, but an occurrence at the end of the race, and. Um, you know, Mikey and Derek um, had kind of had a catastrophic damage to their vehicle. Um, uh, Derek was able to fix it, but they were were essentially timed out of the race. Timed you know, out of the race. They fixed it, and then they were waiting on another vehicle that was right. broken down that they were fixing. And by the time they kind of got all of that worked out, I mean, they, they, there's no way they could have finished. Right. They still had, I think, 60 miles left or something like that. Or no, 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 less than that. They made it a mile 88. They, they, right? they broke down just before 88. That's right. Out of you know, 126 miles. Right. So they, I mean, they made it three quarters of the race and, uh, but the last portion was the rock crawling portion and takes the most amount of time. And so, you know, even getting through, even if they were halfway, there's no way you'd be able to finish the second loop in, in the same amount of time. And so, but where they, where they broke down, it was called outer limits. Outer limits. So they broke down the outer limits, which is kind of like, um, where that they're probably gonna crucify me if I'm telling this wrong, but uh, it's kind of, from my understanding, the the point where the blend of the two environments is starting to happen. You're starting to get into that really rocky area, um, moving out of the desert, and they were down in a canyon. Um, and yeah, so basically, the the desert series is called Loop One, and then after they get through loop one they basically start hitting the rocks like you said Mm -hmm. it's right before remote pit two so there's basically three pit areas one is at the the start and finish line they they go back there and they can pit there if they want but they also have one remote in the desert and then another remote in the in the start really the start of the rock section like you're saying and it's that's right kind of a narrow canyon and it's not really a place that you can take different lines and yeah it's, it's just too narrow you kind of get bottlenecked there and so if somebody goes down basically all the other drivers are either waiting or out helping. helping yeah and and that's where a lot of the community kind of comes in here is well, people need the help but it's, it's also self you know right preservation in terms of getting on with the race if right you help it might be beneficial for you to get out and help the guy in front of you to get out of that spot because then you're going to make it up in time right yeah. like because you're racing and there's different classes of vehicles and um you're you're racing the clock more than you're racing each other because mm-hmm. it's a staggered start so it may be beneficial for you to just get out and get that guy out of the way i mean they get a lot of guys that go for points in the in the race circuit you know right and again this isn't my world so uh, a lot right. of terminology is is foreign to me but um they they basically stack up their positioning over the the course of the year and oh. then they have a, a year-long podium oh, uh, or leaderboard if yeah. you will that basically I says see. okay and so some of them when they break down they, or if they get stopped they know they're not going to finish the race in time they still want to get farther because oh, that counts for their points and gotcha. so it, it helps them but at the end of the day like you said it's it's they can't go on if if there's a bottom right. in the in certain ass parts of the trail on most right. of these rock sections where you know unless you have a, a, a crazy rig or even some places it's just not even possible to go right. around you have to go through the same spot and and if a car's there a car's there you can't right. 
crawl over the car as much as they want to. Yeah, and so in this area where there were the outer limits, kind of down in this canyon, um, we were running ham radios the whole time, and that's what we were using for uh, for comms. That's what they use for race comms, and the race specifically has uh, like locked comms mm-hmm. to where they can use those frequencies. Nobody's going to be interfering with them. Um, and they're able to just use that for the race and for comms amongst teams. Yeah, and you can put the, the pit on a, on a frequency and then you can put the, the race team on a frequency. And essentially, it's the only way to really communicate right. with, with each other. And, you know, coming into pit or mm-hmm. communicating issues or, or breakages or anything, really, mm-hmm. that, that's the only real, real way to do it. Yeah, and I mean, there's no cell reception. We didn't have any cell reception down no. there at all. So, um, but one thing that we, one of the, little issues that we kind of ran into is um, the last communication that Derek and Mikey had had with our pit crew, uh, which was made up of Addison, um, Derek's wife, and two of his really good friends that were nice enough to come out and just assist with the whole pit Mm -hmm. um, crew. But the last comms they had had, Derek and Mikey said, hey, we're having some maintenance problems. We broke something. Uh, We're going to fix it. We're going to try to keep pressing. And then they heard, hey, I think we're just going to call it. We're not going to be able to fix it. And then we they kind of went black, right? We didn't hear anything from them. We couldn't communicate. And with those handhelds, you know, you're looking at, you know, maybe a mile or two of communication, but that's not even really true over the horizon communication. Um, out in that desert, you, you probably get a little bit more distance out of it, but you also have those canyons, which uh-huh. we didn't know it at the time, but that's where they were. Um, that yeah. line of sight is crucial for, for the radios to be able to communicate. And, uh, like, you weren't out at pit two, when all of this was going down, you were waiting for him a little bit further down the course. Right. Um, but our handhelds weren't getting them. We we basically so um, we saw him. Me and Julian were out at at the last uh, desert section before mm-hmm. they crossed in and started hitting the rocks, and we saw him pass by. That was like mile eighty five. Okay. And we got in the the jeep and we blasted it out to remote pit two, and we were hoping to catch him before he made it by there. Um, and we were also going to meet up with the pit crew. Right. And so we knew he had passed that. We saw right. him with our eyes. Like, he was good. Things were looking fine. And then we got up to pit two, and we're like, and, and they have a live tracker. If you can right. get service, which there's little Spotty pockets some places. Yeah. So sometimes we could get it, but it was usually like, um, like wouldn't refresh, and it was mm-hmm. like an old time. A little and glitchy, so yeah. Kind of going through and like, oh, can we get anybody? Can you get service? Can I get service? And like, so you'd get kind of like these little updates. But I, I knew for a fact that he had passed mile 85 because we saw him. And we went to pit, which was right before mile 90. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, he's got five miles. I didn't know what the terrain was like back there. Right. The maps were not the right. greatest. And there were no, there's no spectator areas close to mm-hmm. the track Can't in those get, areas. You can't get in there to see it they only have specific locations you can watch and so right. we went to the last one before we could get to pit two mm-hmm. and so we get up there and we're, we're you know waiting and waiting and waiting we <laughs> met up with the pit crew and just kind of like we were waiting there and mm-hmm. and, and and we kind of noticed like nobody really coming by yeah because like, that was the no other thing is, it's not like you could ask another driver to mm-hmm. or you know hey did you see you know car 903 because nobody was showing up yeah, so like, and then then like it was like an hour went by and I was like it's five miles like yeah how slow is he going like what's yeah. what's going on and you know so then the, the questions started coming in like right. what's going on but we but we were radio silent we could right. not get comms with them we're doing radio checks we're going in and right. we know he's only a couple miles away the the last uh update we got was at mile 88 so we're like right. he's like a mile or two away we should be able to get 
something. Right. Um, we had a bunch of little handhelds. We also had one that had kind of a bigger antenna. Mm-hmm. I want to say it was a 10 watt antenna. And so, you know, not amazing, yeah. but it's, it's But you can it's reach out a little further. You go yeah. reach a few miles. Um, but like you said, we didn't know he was down in this canyon, and that mm-hmm. line of sight was crucial to yep. being able to communicate on the radios. And and then after I had heard he had broken, you know, they're like, hey, I, last we heard, because right shortly after what you're talking about, they finally got some broken comms with them. Saying, and, and the way that we got that was uh, BF Goodrich, give a shout right. out to them, because they were, they were very helpful in, in the whole pit process. Yep. Um, great team, great guys, and they were just super willing to, to help out yeah. with anything. But they had a 100-watt tower um, yep. radio that they were like, yeah, let's jump on. Let's, let's try mm-hmm. and communicate. And so we had done that a couple of times and mm-hmm. hadn't heard anything and then ended up, uh, c- getting a, a, a good copy on the radio with, on. with Derek and Mikey. Yeah. And that's kind of when it, it went into the, the call of they're, they're down and right. we fixed it, but you know, but we're going to have to kind of pop out. But when, but that was a really cool, um, interaction we had with BF Goodwrench because, and that's kind of what I was alluding to is that, um, you know, once I got back to the, our, uh, garage, if you will, our tent that we were using as our garage in Hammertown, um, we actually lost comms with you Mm -hmm. and, or with you guys as the pit crew. And, um, so I'm reaching out, reaching out, reaching out, nothing. All we're hearing is static. Um, but I had remembered hearing BF Goodwrench communicate with you guys and they were out at remote pit too. So I, I, I said with the, the rest of the guys back at the camp, I was like, um, I'm going to reach out to BF Goodwrench. And I actually was able to kind of use them as a repeater because they did have a repeater out mm-hmm. on the course. I was able to reach comms with them because they had their bigger radio, uh, relay a message, and they were able to relay that message to you. Mm-hmm. And then in turn, able to get us all in contact. And so we all knew what was going on with the racers, what was going on between each other. Um, and it, because it was a little confusing there for a little while, we didn't know if they had started to drive back and now they're out in the middle of the desert somewhere broken again. And well, they yeah, so help we, or what? I mean, we basically were at remote pit two, and we heard the decision over the radio. Hey, we're calling it. We don't have enough time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've got a bunch of guys here that we're all going to just go back together. We're going to caravan back right. to Hammertown. Right. Um, and we drove back to Hammertown mm-hmm. and they weren't there. Yeah, and you had been waiting, and you're like, they haven't showed yeah, up, and we, we were thought like, they were with you. <laughs> and then we we're like, uh, where where are they? We yeah. thought they were out. We thought they were all fixed and unstuck and moving, mm-hmm. and they shouldn't have taken that long. And right. so we, um, me and Addison and Julian actually headed back out to remote pit too. Yeah, because we assumed that because the race had timed out at that point, uh-huh. we just assumed course that was they were closed. Like, course was closed, so we were free to go out there, uh-huh. um, but we just didn't know where they were. So it, it's not that we were super concerned for their safety or anything which was a little bit of a concern but more so you know where are they because if they're broken we can at least get uh, some more tools or another team out to help we them had get a, it fixed one vehicle that we thought could get out there um <clears throat> most vehicles couldn't get anywhere close to where they right. where they actually were but uh but yeah like and at one point in this whole conversation i think this was the only point where we all were actually in communication yeah. the whole day yep. where we actually <laughs> knew what was going on once we kind of sorted through it right. um but they kind of said yeah hey we need help and so we were like okay we're, we're out here let's yeah, so let's dial we in. started trying to work our way down <clears> and see if, how close we could get to see if we could give them help and you know that's kind of when the call came in hey 
we're good. We're all moving yeah, out. We're headed out with like four other guys. And, and I didn't know at the time that you were calling BF Goodrich. Right. And they were the ones facilitating this whole thing. Yeah, and it, it was, I mean, it was crazy. Yeah, shout out to those guys, man. Like you just said, they were <clears throat> they were awesome dudes. And um, what's really awesome is, yeah, they were there, you know, doing some marketing stuff. Yeah, they were there trying to sell maybe a few products. But they sent a whole pit crew. like, And not just like Two a few dudes. Crew. Maybe three. Those or, yeah, because yeah, there was one in main pit. That's main right. Pit and so they had a crew at almost every pit. To, that was literally just there to help other racers. They didn't have a car there. Uh, they had a few sponsored vehicles. And we but weren't even running BF Goodrich tires on no. the Sequoia. These guys Neither literally came up and they're like, yeah, and they're like, hey, what's going on? Uh, what's going on with them? Oh, they're broken? If they can get here, we can fix anything they got going so we got on. All the just tools, get we got here. everything. Yeah, we got a whole team, here. just get them here. And then we're trying, they're helping trying to troubleshoot problems yeah, they were on the radio there. with us. Yeah. They were looking at the map with us. They were telling us about the cores. And beyond that, we were pitted with them. Like right. We were at the same pit spot yep. with them, so they would help us fuel. Yep. We basically put our fuel out there, and they're like, yeah, when they come through, we'll, we'll fill it up. Because you have to have special suits. And yep. we, we had one of them, but we didn't have multiple suits because they're crazy expensive and everything. <laughs> yeah. and obviously... We spent all the money trying to get the car there, <laughs> and so yeah. that was all. You know, that was all part of the race learning experience right. um, for the pit crew itself. Um, but they were nothing but helpful. Yeah. And yeah, like, what do you need? Like, we can we can do anything. And which is, like you said, it speaks to the community. But uh, I mean, that's like above and beyond, in my opinion. So shout out to you guys if uh, if you guys hear this, we appreciate it. So yeah, for sure, uh, that was totally awesome. But it was a that was a a good lesson to learn because. Um, I've never been in any kind of a scenario like that where I needed those types of comms. Um, you know, I've used a, uh, an array of different types of communication, civilian and military, but never in, and that's a, a fairly specific way, but the lesson there being, you know, uh, just because your frequency isn't used or you can't reach on that frequency doesn't mean that you can't reach out to other people uh, and potentially use them as a relay to find other people that are in your party. So it was, it was kind of an interesting thing. I'd, I'd like to do more with that, yeah. you know, and there's a lot to be learned. There. I mean, it brings up one of the one of the I wouldn't say lessons of the race necessarily, but it was something that, you know, we at Fieldcraft have guys with a lot of different experiences, right? right. They have a lot of different expertise yep. and they're real good at a lot of different things, but not everybody is good at everything. No. And, and there's certain aspects where it's like the community can help. Like, mm -hmm. you know, Derek carried a welder in the race car. <laughs> yeah. Like, and some of these guys are like, you did what? Yeah. And he's like, Hey, this is how I roll. This is yeah. how I trail. It's my if I need house. to fix something, this is what I do. Yeah, and I he's, fix it. I mean, he's, he's for lack. Of, I mean, he is a, a master fabricator essentially because I mean, I, I mean, he literally did a trail fix with his right. welder I to mean, get his car we, back. We've talked about it, but I mean, they broke down at mile eighty-eight. He snapped his tie rod right uh, clean off and had to weld it on the trail. Yeah, and so I mean, but. At the end of the day, he was able to do that. He was prepared. He had mm -hmm. the tools he needed, and he, he might have been missing uh, <laughs> his mask, but he was able to do it and, and yeah. put it back together and drive it out. Like right. the car drove back to the garage yep. under its own power, and yeah. you know, and that speaks to the volume of, of preparedness and skill sets. Yep. And like I'm saying, like everybody has different skill sets, so mm -hmm. he was very willing and able to help somebody out, else out with the, his welder if they needed it mm -hmm. um, or BF Goodrich was able to help us with the comms and they yep. were able to get us in communication with them and, and finally work yep. it all out um, you know and that's the same in the the overlanding world where 
and in, in, in all aspects like yeah. not everybody can be good at everything no. um, and so being able to to work with other people and uh, develop that community is is crucial in terms of learning new skills and and being fully prepared absolutely in in whatever you're doing yeah and uh, you know for me it was an eye opener uh, for even just because I, I teach survival for fuel craft and I, I help um, teach a little bit of med here and there where there's the need and um, for me to look at it through that lens uh, and like what you're saying if you try to become too much of a multi-tool you know <laughs> and you try to do too many jobs you're never going to be good at any of them yeah. so it's better to just find things that you're either passionate about or really good at and put your and put your focus into the things that you already know that you have maybe um, some aptitude for and that doesn't mean don't try new things or try to learn something new absolutely but don't try to put don't try to diversify your skill set so much that you just know enough to get yourself hurt. That's right. one thing. You know enough just to kind of move on to the next thing and then right. learn enough to move on to the next thing, but you never really right. get good at anything. It's right. And But looking at that through my lens and kind of what I do, you know, getting a little bit more mechanical aptitude might not hurt um, because I, I spent some time as a mechanic in the Air Force, and so I'm fairly savvy, but I... By no means am I at Derek's level or Mikey's oh, yeah. level or any of those guys' level mm -hmm. that can go out on a trail, break something like catastrophic, fix it, and get home, right? So um, it, having something in your wheelhouse that can help you fabricate or you know at least mechanically understand what you can do um, to get out of a situation like that is huge. Because even if you relate this to just being an everyday trail rider, you know, if I just built out my rig and had somebody else do it and I paid the money for it, well, that's great. I have a, a very capable machine that I can get from A to B. However, now if I break something, I need to at least be able to diagnose that problem. And then if I can have the opportunity for help, I need to know what I need to either fix it myself or ask for help for. You yeah. know, I, I don't want to drag a guy all the way out to my vehicle and be like, like, well, what's wrong with it? I don't know. I was uh, hoping you could tell me. Well... <laughs> I, I didn't bring the thing to fix that. <laughs> <laughs> right. So and, and so that's a whole nother skill set in and of itself that uh, may, and well, it does tie into absolutely being self-reliant, but that can actually improve your survivability in certain circumstances. Because where we were, we actually were out on a trail um, uh, riding with uh, another guy in the space, and we saw a truck that had just flipped over. Right. The guy had- uh, Flat on its lid. Yeah, flat on its lid. It smashed the, uh, the cab pretty good. I mean, there was still dust in the air from where he had just done it. So we all rolled up, they crawled out of the vehicle, everybody was fine, um, but just that quick. And we're, you know, 35 minutes, 40 minutes from Hammertown, which is uh -huh. where any and all help is. Um, there was a helicopter that flew over one of the media choppers and started circling us and got people out there pretty quickly. But luckily, nobody was hurt. And you don't normally have that luxury of a helicopter just that happens to be flying around. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things. If, if, if those were different circumstances, it would have been a very different situation. But, Correct. I mean, we had, you know, full recovery help there mm -hmm. and med and everybody on call if we needed any any help. And, and luckily, like you said, they, they were all okay. Um, you know, maybe doing a little bit too... Uh, too much spinning around in the desert yeah. for their, their rig, but, yeah. you know, but, you know, maybe had a concussion or something, yeah. but that was probably about it. Yeah. It hit the airbag pretty good. Yeah. But I mean, this thing just wheels up, nothing <laughs> yeah. you can do without yeah. help. Yep. And yeah. Like, and that's not that's even it. a fix that you can do on your own, right? Yeah, I mean, you've got in that area. Out there. You have to. So, 
um, it, it's a huge, and we are actually seeing more and more of the the need for that equipment in that area. And actually, one cool thing about that that I thought was really awesome is when we were out there, the truck had flipped over, and he had a, a flag, an American flag that he had mounted in hit the bed of his truck. Uh-huh. You know, he had the pole, and the flag was sticking up, you know, a few feet up. And that was what was, and it was actually what was holding the, the truck the from vehicle. rocking back. You know, and um, but there was like this whole effort of people. I was like, oh, hey, let's get the flag. And like eight people jumped Good. over there. And we started digging the sand. Digging and like and somebody was holding the, the flag off the ground off. and got that flag up and folded it up, which I just I just thought that was cool. You know, yeah. it's like a bunch of just patriots out there. So oh, yeah. that was that was a cool experience to see that. But um, overall, I would say that this race, uh, you know, we we've seen a, it gives us an awareness of a lot of the gaps that are in the space for survival and preparedness. Mm-hmm. Um, we were able to support our friends, uh, able to use it as a test bed for our equipment. Um, so all that has been super helpful for us um, and for you, for the marketing side of being able oh, to yeah. see those gaps and, and help us develop more product and help us have a way of putting content out that maybe is a little bit more applicable because it, overlanding isn't something that's traditionally in my wheel, wheelhouse. Uh-huh. It's something that I've learned over the last few years working with Fuelcraft and um, have has become somewhat of a hobby of mine, but it does go hand in hand with survival preparedness equipment and um, and and survival preparedness training. So being able to like bridge that gap and get a better understanding will help us with our content, help oh, us with sure. our marketing and everything. And, and I'm no expert in any of this. I'm just a marketing guy. It's, <laughs> and so, but it's, I'm an enthusiast. I'm a hobbyist. I, I, right. I love all of this stuff. And it's one of those things where it's like, okay, when I look at it from a lot of our audience, mm-hmm. you know, that's, like you that's are a consumer, like right. I, yeah, I'm a consumer of this. I am part of the audience. I look at it and say, what can we do to help? What can we mm-hmm. do to make? And you know, I, I laugh because I'm, you know, we were out there and we were trying to meet up with each other. We were right. in different cars, and you know, it was one of those things where I'm like, I'm here let me you know i'm like if you drive out this way and i'm trying to use the (laughs) compass on my phone and i'm just sitting there like how do i get him to me and and without good comms like Mm -hmm. radios kind of going in and out and like cell reception going in and out and all this stuff and you know it sits there and says we teach land navigation i should be able (laughs) to get you to me and make sure that we can navigate to each other it's like and you know in the different circumstances again what what do we always say you've got your pace plan with your your primary Mm -hmm. alternate contingency and emergency and and you know we had cell phones might have been our primary and then mm-hmm. you know those weren't working we've got our radios as our alternate those those weren't working yeah. like what was next and yep. you know i wasn't prepared enough to be able to get you to me and try and mm-hmm. explain where i was because i i can't really look at a pin because i, I don't know where i'm at you know my yep. phone doesn't have reception I, I know where i went but you know and you go through mm-hmm. all these things in your head and you say okay let's fix this let's yep. let's go through let's make sure that we have the right tools and let's make sure that you know again like we were talking about with all of the equipment putting it through the paces and saying okay well we do this stuff how prepared are we actually right and you know even Derek and and, and Mike they go through and they said you know we we asked them afterwards like okay you you see what you went through like how ready were you for this and you know they they were pretty good but you know they they had the tools they needed but yeah. they didn't really understand a the, lot of the, the the magnitude of what they right. were doing and yeah they got out there and they said that they saw rocks bigger than their car you uh-huh. know and and derek uh, you know lives in northern california and he rock climbs recreationally and does it with this same rig so he's he's no stranger to this oh, environment no, but 
this race specifically is designed they put them through the toughest stuff out there it's specifically designed to break your rig it that's is what it's designed it for. really <laughs> is so but it, it, it was overall a really good experience i think we uh, we were, we're going to take away a lot of lessons from this and we were able to do a ton of good content that's going to be dropping over the next couple of weeks mm-hmm. um, to put out for you guys to hopefully see some more of these lessons and learn those with us so um yeah man you got anything else rob no man it's just it, it, it's cool every time we kind of look at a new industry and we mm-hmm. say hey how does this apply how does survival mm-hmm. apply to this and we can we can jump in yeah find and, something and go down and we find the right way to do it we motorsports we go down to one of the toughest races and, and hunting we go out yeah. on a, a, a backcountry right. hunt deep in the in the backcountry of yeah. wyoming to for five days to go hunt elk and, and, yep. and see what we need and to, to teach hunters and, and fishermen and motorsports and, and, and families and all these audiences that right. aren't necessarily kind of our core audience, but mm-hmm. we feel like we have something to offer them. Yeah. We feel like these are skills that they can take and they can have, especially after 2020, it feels like a lot of people are starting to, to totally. turn and you know, look at survival not as this you know crazy person thing, but yeah. something that's oh, this applies to everybody. Yeah, and everything that I'm interested in. because in, And that's been the big initiative for us this year in 2021 is to go to and experience as many um, different events and different types of genres of things that people are interested in and see where survival and preparedness fits into those and fill that gap. Because oh, yeah. there's, there's gaps everywhere that uh, survival preparedness can absolutely tap into. And finding the right partners in those industries to help us kind of work with those groups and and, uh, identify the best tactics of of reaching those audiences so that we can share that with everyone. Absolutely. So who knows what's next? I don't even think Mike knows yet. He'll he'll figure it out. Yeah, we'll figure it out. So guys, Probably tomorrow. Yeah, probably. (laughs) Probably. Uh, So guys, hopefully that answers that question for you, the why behind why we were down at King of Hammers. Um, we're looking forward to putting out all this content. We're going to be doing, uh, we filmed, I filmed with Julian, uh, like a little mini documentary of the whole experience that should be dropping soon by the time you hear this podcast. You'll get to see the camera wizardry. Yeah, the camera wizardry. Yeah, we'll call it that. <laughs> and uh, it's mainly Julian. He's the wizard. But um, guys, hopefully that, that gives you the why. And uh, until next time, stay alert. Stay alive. Stay alive.